Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, we have Colby Howard on the show. No, I do not have a bad nickname for him like I did for Howie DeSavino III, HD3. It could have been Colby Jack, you know, the cheese, but... I opted to not go with that because my jokes fall very flat and they are too cheesy. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Anyways, Colby's a great guy. He's uh, in his first year with McAnally Higgleman Racing in the Truck Series this year. Teammate to Derek Krause, former guest on the show, longtime compadre of me whack in the K&N days. So going to chat a little bit with Colby about how the season's gone, his background, and that incident that he had at IRP with Carson Hosevar. Well... I'm not going to say he's over it, but I think that the way he is able to compartmentalize everything with that event, shall we say, is a bit surprising and, and very admirable, I shall say. So I'll let you guys hear that. But great to chat with Colby. Really appreciate his time. We're also going to chat very briefly about the playoffs, where things stand now, heading into the finale for the round of 16 at Bristol. But before we do any of that, you know what time it is. It's way back segment time. It's episode 161, which means it's time to pay homage to a very, very great modified racer who we unfortunately lost much too soon. Papa Siegel's got more this week. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 161. Today, we pay respects to one of the greatest, maybe the greatest modified racer of all time. Richie Evans was identified by his uniquely orange number 61 car. He won nine NASCAR modified championships, including eight in a row from 1978 to 1985, a feat the International Motorsports Hall of Fame lists as one of the supreme accomplishments in motorsports. Evans was known as the Rapid Roman, not because of any Italian heritage, but because he hailed from Rome, New York. He was a mainstay and virtually unbeatable at his Utica Rome Speedway home track. Come to think of it, he was virtually unbeatable just about everywhere. During his career, he won over 400 feature events spanning from Canada down to Florida. In October 1985, Evans had already clinched NASCAR's inaugurable Modified Tour Championship, then sponsored by Winston, now by Whelan. Evans was practicing on October 24th at Martinsville when he crashed hard in Turn 3. He died in the accident, leaving six children and a lasting legacy of fan appreciation. Though not recognized at the time, it's now widely believed that Evans died from the same kind of head-whip basilar skull fracture that killed Dale Earnhardt. Evans' death, along with a number of other modified drivers, eventually led NASCAR to mandate safety changes 
to modified car chassis. Still not convinced that Evans was a big deal? His number 61 is the only NASCAR number that's been retired in any series. And Richie Evans was posthumously elected into NASCAR's Hall of Fame in 2011, alongside Cale Yarbrough, Darrell Waltrip, Dale Inman, and Glenn Wood. During his induction speech, Waltrip said that Richie Evans was the greatest wheelman he ever saw at Martinsville. That's high praise from someone who was pretty good himself at that track. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duke. Thank you, Dad. I, I'm going to admit, I had no idea that the 61 was retired in all three national series. I thought for the longest... I'm going to have to do some research on that because I thought for the longest time that no numbers were retired in NASCAR because the 3 is active, the 43 is active, the 21 is active, the 17, the 48. All these numbers are still active, and I thought that that was because there's no retirement number-wise in NASCAR, but... I guess I'm wrong. So the late, great Richie Evans, that's 61, it is retired. I'm going to have to do some research on that. But that is why you come to the Wayback Segment Party, people. You learn something new every day, don't you? Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned reggaeton. <laughs> and throw it straight over to our interview with Colby Howard of McAnally Higgleman Racing in the Camping World Truck Series. Again, started out his career in motorsports as a third-generation racer, but not on asphalt and not on four wheels. How did he wind up on the NASCAR side of things in motorsports with four wheels on pavement? He will run through it for you. Also, how the season has gone. It's been plagued by bad luck, lack of practice, inexperience in the Truck Series, behind the wheel and around him, but he is very, very self-aware of what he's capable of doing as a driver, where he wants to go, how he's going to get there, and he runs through it all for us in this chat. Great to chat with the driver of the number 91 for a McAnally Hilgeman Racing. Here's my chat with Colby Howard. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, driver of the number 91 MHR Racing Chevrolet Silverado. In the truck series, it is Colby Howard. How the heck are you, my friend? Playing a little hurt this morning, afternoon, whenever it is, but I appreciate you hopping on with me, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I see you're sporting a Chevrolet EV hat. Is that your everyday driver? Because if it is, I need to get me a Chevrolet contract. Oh, boy. Yeah, you know, I I got this hat at a Chevrolet um, deal we did, and ever since, I've just been wearing it. You know, it's one of those, like, like a dry fit material so wear it late get it wet whatever it's comfortable gets the job done do you drive a chevrolet like truck or car as your everyday driver i do i have a uh 2020 silverado lifted big tire wheels on it yeah baby so did now did you get a hookup for that or was that out of your own wallet so i got it when i was running xfinity and actually did get a little discount for it but other than that it it was all my own money we so, love a little first, discount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So we're going to get into you, your background, your career, all that good stuff. But we're getting geared up for Bristol this weekend. How do you even begin to attack that place from just looking at it on paper to then arriving on the property and stepping behind the wheel? I feel like that's got to be a big challenge for you. Yeah. I mean, there's in the truck series, there's no 
really other track that compares to it, I feel like. Um, you know, there's Dover, but trucks didn't go there this year. So, um, you know, it's its own beast, it's its own animal. You just got to just go there and, and do it, you know. Um, we've done a lot of sim there. We worked on that and, you know, watching film, of course. Um, but other than that, you just got to show up and do it. So I know your background dates back to two wheels. You raced dirt bikes for about six years, I think, when you were six to 12. But I also read that a crash that involved you breaking your leg and your collarbone kind of derailed things over there. You eventually went to four wheels. But how bad was this crash? I mean, it's obviously pretty bad. But what was that crash like? And then to go through that injury and rehabbing from it, I'm sure that that had to be pretty taxing on you. Yeah, it was actually two different crashes. Uh, the oh, first man. one, I broke my collarbone on. And, you know, that was that was pretty hard. My first, like, bone broken. Um, I was... 10 years old, nine years old, something like that. Hmm. Um, went back through everything, got back on a bike. And like a year or two later, I, I broke my femur. And that one was really bad. I was out. I couldn't walk for six months. Um, wow. It was just, it was, it was rough. Like, it was really rough deal. I had uh, rods in my leg. had to go back and get them taken back out. So another surgery. Um, and then my dad was like, all right. Four wheels in a, in a roll cage. Here we go. Right. Interesting interesting that dad made that decision because usually it's mom that makes that choice. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, one of those days I was laid up, you know, my uh, leg all wrapped up in bandages from the surgery. I turned the TV on and it was um, it was like freestyle uh, motocross, whatever, like X Games. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to do that one day. <laughs> my dad just looked at me and laughed and said, no, nah, uh uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> we got on the, the uh, car stuff. Do you still have, you know, is is your main passion still dirt bikes and two wheels, or have you kind of fully converted at this point? I'm pretty much like all NASCAR. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I had a buddy one time a couple years ago had a bike, and I got back on it, and it, it kind of gave me that that um that edge to get back on one and race. But uh, yeah, I just. I, I, I like I like dirt bikes. I like you know going out messing around, but you know they're, they're so dangerous, you know. So I know you're a third generation racer. This has been in your family and it has for decades and almost centuries at this point. But what made you want to go down the dirt bike path? Was there anything specific when you were a younger Colby that drew you to that discipline? Um, I don't know. I think just I love being outside. I love you know doing stuff like that. No, my dad brought home like just a little 50cc Yamaha one day and I got on it and just kind of like put it around in the yard a little bit. Uh, and then next thing I know, he brought home a, l- a little faster bike, got on it, was was messing around on it. And then uh, we went to a race one time and, and I raced uh, like through the woods, like hair scrambles, not like motocross, like jumps and stuff. And went to a race and you know, did pretty good, but mom wasn't a fan. Hmm. So... You know, we went back and it was just kind of putting around, went and did one more race. Next thing I know, we got all KTMs, like fast stuff. And we're going and traveling all over, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, you know, doing all this stuff. So, um, um, I mean, that's like kind of just how it started. Just got hooked on it. Anything racing and super competitive. I'm very uh, ignorant when it comes to terminology and just general knowledge of anything two wheels i watch supercross i watch motocross maybe moto gp every now and then 
Do you still watch that every now and then? I mean, I know Eli Tomac, and when you say KTM, like I know that's a big deal too. Cooper Webb, I know the main guys and the main things. Do you still have a passion for that and watch it as much as you used to, or has it kind of fallen off in recent years? Um, recent years, I've fallen off. You know, the first two years after I stopped, I was still watching it. You know, every Saturday, Friday night. Um, sure. And I, I see it. I'm getting a lot of it on my TikTok actually. So it's kind of <laughs> giving me that edge. Kind of like pay attention to it again. But um, no, I I followed the um like the Hayden Deegan stuff. Like I've been kind of following him a little bit. But other than yeah. that, I'm not. Not a real big fan of it or watch watch it. Okay. So I mentioned third generation racer. Your grandpa buddy was a four time track champ at Greenville Pickens. I know you raced there a handful of times and won a lot yourself. Your dad buddy back in the day was a Bush series competitor. So racing has been in your blood, always has been, right? Was there any chance that when you were growing up you were gonna do anything but get behind the wheel of something? Was that ever an option for you? Uh, I don't think so. Um, like I said, I started when I was six years old on dirt bikes. So all I really knew was, you know, just being competitive and racing. I've tried different sports. I've played lacrosse, soccer, football, basketball, played it all. Um, but nothing really, you know, got me excited like NASCAR does or just racing does. Um, and then growing up, you know, I was always like, you know, I got to figure out like what I'm going to do in life. You know, I have to sit down and, and think about this because all my teachers are talking about, you know, you got to figure out what you're going to do in college. I was like, yeah, I don't want to go to college. Like, I don't, I don't want to do any of that. And then I'd go race on the weekend, wherever, whatever I was doing at the time. And then it just kind of slowly, like each year was like, you know, what if I just do this? Like, what if I just race? And then when I was about 15 or 16, I think I like really decided like, you know, this is what I want to do. Like, this is, this is it right here. So you mentioned when you were sitting in the hospital bed, one of those times and you're watching motocross and your dad's like, yeah, no, we're, we're going to go two more wheels, some fenders, a seat harness. We're going to go down that road. At that point, were you kind of resigned to the fact that, all right, well, you know, if he says it, it's going to happen, or did you still have a passion for, for dirt bikes and motocross and you didn't want to necessarily jump to four wheels yet? Yeah, actually, at that time, I hated NASCAR. I, okay. I was not a fan. Yeah, I was not a fan of it. You know, who wants to sit there and watch guys turn left for three, four hours, you know? Um, anytime I'd walk in, because my dad still followed NASCAR a lot from when he raced. Anytime I'd walk in, I'm like, how do you watch this? Like, this is so boring. And um, slowly and slowly, I started watching the races with them. I was like... Now, this is this is actually this is pretty cool um and then i got a bandolero little race car uh started racing that and instantly i was hooked for it and i watched all the races flag to flag uh, and i was i was i was in it i was hooked and i know bandoleros late models that was kind of the first or at least couple iterations of full fendered four-wheel cars vehicles that you drove I bet the adjustment, though, from going from two wheels on dirt to four wheels and fender cars on asphalt or pavement probably had to be a steep one. Am I right? Yeah. So, you know, dirt bikes, everything's really quick. Like you're on the throttle, off the throttle, um, a lot of body movement with it. And then race cars, like complete opposite, especially on asphalt. You got to be real smooth, like on like 
smooth off the throttle, back on it, you know, brake, all that stuff. So it took me a while to get used to that just because I was so used to just jerking everything around, you know, and, and just using, like, trying to muscle it myself. And you just can't do that with, with cars like this. I didn't think about the, the physical component of it. I mean, I've, I've never been on a dirt bike or driven a competitive race car, but I've played the arcade games when you're sitting on the bike and you're going left to right. So, I mean, yeah. that, that's a big thing too. So mentally, it's one thing to adjust from, okay, I'm no longer on two wheels on dirt. I'm four wheels on pavement. But then also physically, I'm sure probably like the first time you got in the car, you're doing the little lean and you're like, eh, I don't really need to oh, do yeah. that anymore. So physically yeah. and mentally, it had to be a big adjustment. You clearly did it well. But the first couple of times, I'm sure we're a little, eh, maybe I need a little more practice at this. Yeah, I mean, even now, you know, I'll find myself, like if I ever get like mad in the car, I'll just, I'll get hunched up on the wheel and just like really try and like force that thing where I want it yeah. to go. Yeah, it takes me a lot, like, all right, Colby, like, calm down, like be smooth, like whatever. And then you know, I get back to calm down and stuff. So I assume a few years would pass in your bandoleros, your late model stuff, and you're doing pretty well. You're winning races. You're, you're enjoying yourself. You said 16 or so was the age when you kind of had that epiphany of, all right, I think this is what I want to do. I don't want to go to college. I want to be a race car driver. NASCAR is where my dad was at. I've come around. I like it now. This is what I want to do. How did you and your family set out to ultimately accomplish that goal? What were the next logical steps for you at that point, still, you know, relatively early in your racing development on pavement? Um, a lot of persuasion. <laughs> um, you know, I, me and my dad always kind of just talked about like racing in NASCAR, but like I said, when I was, you know, 15, 16, I was running late models and I remember there was like one day I, you know, I told him, I was like, you know, this is what I want to do. I don't want to go to college. Like, are you going to make me go to college? And he goes, you know, I didn't go to college and I, you know, run a business. And I'm like, so even if you didn't race, I wouldn't make you go to college. And I was like, okay. So like, you know, this racing deal, is that like, are we going to do this? He's like, Cole, if it's what you want to do, then, you know, that's, we're going to do everything we can to, to make it happen. I was like, okay. And, you know, we kind of got a lot more serious, you know, with the racing stuff, like traveling more, just trying to get out and get my name out there. Um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, here I am now. So, um, yeah, I just, just put my heart to it, I guess. So you fast forward, you're here now, but let's rewind a little bit and go back to 2019. That was the year where you made your National Series debut. You ran a couple truck races for Young's Motorsports. How big of a deal was that for you, for your family, to have that on your resume and to say, okay, even though I started on another side of things in motorsports, I'm here now, I'm in NASCAR, racing in the National Series. And at that point, you can say that you had arrived to a certain extent. Yeah, uh-huh. that, was, that was huge for me. Um, cause you know, like I said, 15, 16, I was like, this is what I want to do. And then like 2018, the year before that I was, I ran, um, late mile stocks at Grimmel Pickens and I won like four races or something beginning of the year. And I remember I was like, cause I started like understanding, you know, the industry a little bit more, how things work. And, you know, it was like one time I won a race and I was like, you know, 
am I actually going to do this? Like, am I ever just going to race NASCAR? You know, I'm, I'm 17 years old. You know, is it going to happen? And then we started talking like middle of that year about doing something, or maybe it was like early 2019, something like that. So when I finally did, you know, learn that I was going to be racing in NASCAR at Phoenix at Homestead, especially Homestead. Cause I've always just raced, you know, these half mile racetracks, you know, that was, yeah. that was huge for me, especially when I got to that race. So yeah, that was a, a really big moment in my life. So when you got to Homestead, that's probably the biggest place you've been to that point, especially oh, yeah. behind the wheel. How'd you begin attacking that? What were the first thoughts you had when you rolled in that place? Oh, it was, I mean, there's nothing I really like prepped for. You know, I didn't have Sim. I wasn't, you know, with Chevrolet. I wasn't, I had iRacing. So I ran iRacing. Um, but obviously I, I watched, you know, film and stuff, but nothing can really prepare you for that. Something like that when you've never done it, like you have no idea what it's going to feel like. Um, I remember just like rolling out on pit road and up onto the track, going through the gears. I was like, I hit third gear. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm hauling right now. <laughs> Grab gear and, and uh, you know, went down the banking. That was the first time I really felt, you know, like G forces and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was like my second lap. Um, whoever was driving the 18 at that time, like blew by me, like on the straightaway, like side draft me, I, like pushed me around everywhere. I mean, it, it was wild. Um, but you know, I obviously you got speed and you kind of learned a lot more, but I was still, I wasn't good at all. So it was kind of like hurting the, you know, the head, like what, what was going on? Like, what do I need to do type deal? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Trial by fire, right? You learn by doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how did your relationship with Tyler Young and Young's Motorsports begin in the first place? Because I hear from a lot of different people that. Tyler and Young's and that team have helped out in the past, whether it's ARCA, trucks, anything in between, late models, of course, as well. He seems to be helping a lot of young drivers that now have moved their way up into the upper levels of motorsports. So how did that work for you with Tyler? Um, so when I made my debut in the Cars Tour race at Grimmel Pickens, I think, um, I think that might have been 2018, uh, I ran into a guy, his name was JR, and or I, he got introduced to me and you know he helped he's a manager you know he helps you know guys trying to go from you know late models up into to nascar so um we started talking nothing really happened um in like early 2019 we ran back into him and uh, we actually hired him to be my manager on um, he had a relationship with tyler and uh, tyler called him up and asked you know if he'd take me to phoenix um so I was like, yeah, you know, we just got to get approved because you can't just go to, to a track like that and was in the playoffs. Sure. Um, so, you know, we went through all the approval process and finally got approved for it. And I had to run Phoenix or, yeah, I had to go to Phoenix and, and not, like, cause any problems. Like, just clean race. Yep. Um, we're like, okay, like, let's just do it. So and that's, all that, that's how all that happened. So that happens the following year. You have some conversations with CR7 Motorsports, JD Motorsports. You wind up landing over with Johnny Davis and that red fleet of cars for, uh, for a full year almost. How did those conversations progress and then ultimately wind up having you behind the wheel of the 15 for, for almost a full year? Because at that point, you had run a couple truck races. Again, running Greenville Pickens to the truck races, 
the next logical step would be the Xfinity series. But still, looking mm -hmm. at it from a 30,000-foot view, that's a big, big jump going from that truck garage to the Xfinity garage. So, A, were you ready for that jump? And B, how did it wind up happening for you? Um, so, you know, same thing with, with JR. You know, he had a relationship with, with Johnny. And Johnny's from, um, you know, Gaffney. His shop's down in Gaffney. Yep. That's only like 40 minutes from, from my house in Simpsonville. So, um, obviously, I've heard of them, and we started talking to, to them and sat down with Johnny and talked and um, decided to do, like, a 20-race schedule. Um, so then we go to Phoenix, and my debut, um, and I wreck. You know, I, I got up in the in the PJ1, in the marbles, and turned, what, now, like, three and four, or one and two. And I still get that stuff mixed up. Like, I don't know what Me it too. is. <laughs> um, even like we'll be in the race, and I'll be like calling out the wrong corners. Um, but <laughs> no, we went in there, and and I got up in the marbles and and tail slapped a little bit, and um, and ended ended the race early. So you know, I got out of the car, and I was like, dang, like you know, was I ready for this? Like, should I have done this? And um, and it was another one of those deals with approval. You have to go through that race like clean and you can't like do anything stupid like, like I did. Um, and then the next race was Homestead is, it's kind of ironic. You know, my debut was Phoenix Homestead. Yep. Now it's in the early year Phoenix Homestead. Deja vu. Um, yeah. So after that race, COVID hit, um, and they took away our practice. So that was like, okay, like I raced two truck races one Xfinity race and crashed in it. Should we be going to do stuff like this with zero practice? Um, I think their first race back was um, like Darlington, maybe. Yep, it was Darlington. Yeah, and um, you know we went there and we're like, all right, Colby, like we're not going to race. You know, we're we're going to ride around third gear basically. Like you just fall back and, and just learn and, and get experience and understand you know, like a big track like this okay we went through it you know perfectly fine i think we went can't remember the race after that but it was a lot better and then we went to bristol and i drove from like 30th up to 13th at one point in the race so um you know that was a really big confidence booster and you know so on from that definitely so last year i think it was last year yeah um you and jd had a bit of a split at towards the back half of the year. It was right around when you announced that you were moving to MHR for this year and reading between the lines, obviously you announce your deal, Johnny and company say, well, he's out the door. So we're putting him out the door. I know that you tweeted, won't be in the 15 anymore. Didn't have much of a choice. So just that weekend, I think it was Richmond. I mean, mm -hmm. having the emotions of getting ready to go in the car, do your job, race, do your thing. And then kind of having the rug pulled out from under you, what was that feeling like? It was it was a pretty awful feeling. Um, you know, my relationship with Johnny up until that point was, was nothing but perfect, you know. So to have, you know, something like that, I don't want to talk about it too much, going, but to have something like that happen when you, I was about to fly out, you know, uh, it really shows you what, that kind of person is, I guess, um, just take it from you and, and say bye. Um, but I feel like 
it was worth it. You know, I got to go and join CR7 for a few races that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that really helped me just preparing for uh, 22 with the MHR deal. So, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm a huge believer in that. Sometimes I question those reasons, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was you know, just part of it. You and me both. I hear you on that. Um, I won't dwell on it. Just a couple things to tie up with that. So obviously you, you didn't really get any communication from be it the team or anybody over there that they were making a change because you were getting ready to fly out. So I guess when were you told that a change was being made and who did that come from? Uh, so I was going up to the shop one day and I can't remember the exact day it was, but I just happened to look at the entry list just to see who was there because we were back in the um, owner's point. So we were um, having to race into these races. I saw Bailey Curry was on the entry list for the 15. I was like, what? Um, and I think I called my dad or something and say, hey, like, is there stuff going on that I don't know about? Um, and I think he, he came back and said something that he was talking to Johnny or Johnny called him early that morning. Um, and there's, there's some stuff going on. And then I thought so I changed like my decision, what I was going up there for. I was like, all right, like I'm not racing. I need to get my stuff from up here so I can find another ride for this weekend. So I went up there and just grabbed my, um, my steering wheel and, uh, my suit was in the hauler. I grabbed that stuff and nobody really said anything to me. Nobody mm-hmm. really talked to me. I just came up there. And I saw the, the last name on the, um, back glass and it's like, all right, that's how it's going to be. Just walked out and left. Wow. Did you go back since that day? I haven't been back now. Hmm. So nothing from Johnny, your crew chief, anybody else at the team, you just kind of found out by looking at the entry list. Yeah, man. Yeah. I have to imagine that's um, tough. You probably hadn't experienced anything like that in your racing career up till that point, huh? No. Um, I had a lot of really, really close people that I was friends with up there. And from what I was told talking to those people, um, there was other stuff like said about me that made them change their opinion on me and they thought it was a different way and you know, all this stuff. So I lost, you know, some friends over that, you know, really good relationships. I still haven't talked to a few of them just from that. So, um, you know, it's, it's just part of it, man. Um, things happen in life. I hear you. Well, like you said, you wound up on a good side of things. You got a full-time ride for this year. And the decision to go down to the truck series to race for MHR, that came kind of before all of this happened. I mean, some of it was related. But I guess at the end of the day, you look at it on paper and you're going from a mid-pack Xfinity car to a truck series ride and a new team that is expanding from one to two trucks why make that move some some may view it as a lateral move some may view it as a downgrade what did you view it as uh i'm viewed it as a small step sideways to make a big step forward um you know our our trucks are are really good uh, we haven't showed it that much this year but we uh, we do have a lot of speed we just don't have the luck every week you know something's going on with us um I mean, we led laps at daytona uh derek said some laps i think gateway mm-hmm. um Almost and you know that. we have we have the yeah yeah we have the equipment 
You just cannot get the luck for it. So, um, you know, I'm extremely happy with my decision I made to come here. Um, you know, it's the most I've ever, you know, felt welcomed and wanted as a driver. So, um, you know, that just makes it worth it right there. Um, but, you know, I wish we could be running a little bit better. But I do feel like it was a, a step, you know, sort of sideways to make a big step forward. Bill McAnally is obviously a huge name on the West Coast when it comes to stock car racing and automobiles and everything that has to do with racing out there. But back East, he's not as big of a name. Now people are starting to understand him more because of his success in what was K&N, now ARCA, obviously been in the truck series with Derek for a handful of years. What did you know about your now boss, Bill McAnally, when you guys first met and kind of went to the negotiating table? Did you know much about him? Um, I knew he was a really um, well-known name, like you said, the ARCA West Series. So, I mean, they win a championship almost year, oh, every year over there. Yeah. Um, I heard about Derek. Uh, I remember, I think they made their truck debut when I um, made my truck debut or a couple of races before that. But I know they were in those um, two races I did at um, in 2019. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's when I first heard about them over here, at least. Um, but obviously, I knew Derek or heard about Derek. And I came in the shop for the first day and, and you know, Derek was standing there and um, it was the first time I met him and we hit it off, you know, immediately. We've been, I think our friendship's gone like really good uh, so far this year. Um, and then just meeting Bill and, you know, he's a, he's an interesting guy. He's a, um, you know, West Coast guy. So uh, yeah. getting used to that. Um, but no, I, I love it where I'm at and, you know, Bill's a great owner takes care of his employees, his drivers, you know, everything like that. It's interesting because you got Bill, who's a West Coast guy through and through. Derek is as Midwest as they get. Just listen to him speak for two seconds and you'll understand that. And you're a Southern boy. So you got the trifecta of the United States right there. It comes together oh, yeah. for a nice little marriage at the team. There's a lot of accents in the shop. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. My, my thing I always tell people is, uh, do you watch basketball at all? NBA fan by chance? Okay. Not really, well, no. You might, you might know a player. His name's Giannis Antetokounmpo. He plays for the Bucks, So, obviously, Derek likes him because Milwaukee Bucks. His, his last name is very difficult to pronounce. Next time you see Derek, just whether it's at Bristol in the shop, whatever, just ask him to pronounce Giannis' last name, and you'll thank me later. You'll have to tell me how that goes, I please. I will. <laughs> um, so, speaking of Derek, he obviously is a younger driver, but he's, he's had a couple of years at this point running – in the truck series he's got a championship under his belt under the nascar banner right countless race wins in what was then the k&m pro series west do you think that it's kind of fair to to match yourself up against him given that you're running the same equipment but he has a lot of experience on you so how do you measure your own performance right now in the truck series um you know i'm not really sure i'm one of those guys that's really hard on myself so you know, when we go to these races and he's way, way better than me, I'm like, dang, like I suck. So, um, but you also have to think about, he, this is like his third year in the trucks. So mm -hmm. he knows him a lot better, but I also had two years of Xfinity. And so then you got to weigh like, is truck experience, Xfinity experience, and, you know, what, how much do they correlate? So, um, you know, I, I don't really know. I know when, whenever we hit it, with the 91, we're as fast or faster with, than Derek. 
So when we do hit it, you know, I feel comfortable with that, you know, um, you know, that, that aspect, but, um, there's times I wish we were a lot faster and where it looks sort of bad where he's like running fifth and, you know, we're back here, but, um, it goes back to like something always happens with us to put us back there. Um, mechanical, you know, just log, you know, whatever it is, you know, pit stops, we struggled really bad with, with pit stops in the beginning of the year. Um, but we've gotten a, a new pit crew and it's really picked us up at the last half of the season. You mentioned when uh, we came back from COVID and you raced at Darlington and the message to you is essentially, you're, you're not going to race. You're just going to ride. You're going to log laps. You're going to mm-hmm. learn. And even now, you know, two plus years removed from that, we still don't have a ton of practice over race weekends, especially in the truck series where there is a ridiculous amount of young drivers who don't have the experience, be it in a truck or a full bodied stock car type vehicle at all. You're still trying to get your feet under you and, and understand how these trucks work. How difficult is it having the lack of practice that you have right now and then just going in cold turkey, qualifying, and then race? Because not having a lot of time to practice, that does pay dividends at the end of the day. Right. Um, you know, The switch has been a lot more or a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. Uh, just the downforce aspect of it. You know, The Xfinity cars have like zero downforce. And just about every intermediate track we go to, we're holding it wide open. I never came close to that with the Xfinity car. Right. So, you know, it, it takes me a few laps in practice just to muster everything up to do it. Um, or like, say, like in practice, we're just rolling out of throttle, just 50% throttle. But qualifying, you will be wide open. So that is been a struggle with qualifying. And I'm sure you can see it, you know, on the on the board sometimes, but, um, you know, I feel like I've gotten a little bit better about it. I was a little disappointed at Kansas because as a track we've been to with the truck, uh, you know, I expected to practice and qualify better, but we, we raced pretty good. So, um, yeah, it's just a lot more difficult than I thought. And I think I'm finally getting where I can just go straight out to practice and, and, um, be up to speed. A lot of people say that when they compare the Xfinity car to the truck, they love racing in Xfinity because the car control that's needed with that, the lack of downforce compared to the truck where you're kind of just holding it wide open and some competitors on the racetrack may not have as much respect as some do in the Xfinity series. You've obviously lived both. You're living one right now. Do you have a preference as to which series you like racing in better? Um, I think holding it wide open on a track in a truck is cool for like two laps. <laughs> and then, but... I'm ready to go back to the Xfinity car and, and, you know, slip and slide and be up right up on the wall and, yeah. and, you know, move, move around, move lanes. And, um, I think that part, I think they race a lot better, but a truck can be fun to kind of drive every once in a while. And the drivers in Xfinity is, is a lot better. Yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah. I hear you. Well, that's a good segue. Uh, going back a couple weeks to IRP. One of the things that you mentioned was, you know, you've had bad pit stops. You've had, freak deals with tires you've had bad qualifying you've been bad on some days but also drivers have been involved with you some days and going back to irp that was obviously a playoff race for the truck series carson hosevar flat out hooked you i don't really think there's any way of saying it otherwise uh justifiably so you were very unhappy i think anybody in your position would be just as mad if not more um, I'm sure when you got out of the car, you felt a certain way that week after you felt a certain way, but right after it happened, especially given the year that you'd had to that point and where you were running, 
and then to just get hooked out of nowhere, take me inside the helmet, which I don't know if I want to be there. Uh, <laughs> what were the emotions that were stewing in you at that moment? Um, I was ready to throw down. You know, <laughs> I wish I, you did. You know, yeah. Um, like I said, you know, it just hasn't been that great of a year. Everything's happened. We were finally having a really, really good day. Um, you know, we practiced good. We qualified good. We were running top 10 just about the entire race. Um, we were running top five times from you know, uh, the, the board. Um, and we were passing for seventh or eighth, maybe, I think. Top 10, yeah. With, yeah, uh, with 20 to, 20 to go, I think, maybe less. And the other truck was right there in, in sight, so I was running him down. So just to have that happen for, I feel like, absolutely no reason, especially when you're a playoff driver, you shouldn't be trying to make enemies, um, was just, I was, I was ready to throw down. I was ready to throw something, just do something right then. But as I was unstrapping, getting out of the truck, standing there waiting for him to come back around, you know, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a professional, you know, I'm learning or I'm coming up. I'm rising. People don't really know who I am. And this isn't going to portray a good image on me. If I go out here and flick them off, whatever, I do something stupid. So I resorted to look, make myself look like an idiot and just throw my hands on. <laughs> um, but then, um, you know, in that moment, I just kind of, everything just went through my head at, you know, I can't make myself look too bad right here. And just threw my hands up and walked off. Um, and then after the race, I stand at my truck. Carson, I could see his um, 100 or 50 yards away, just stood there. I was like, you know, I feel like he's in the right place to come and talk to me and not me go to him. So um, you know, I just stood there, waited, waited for him to come up. And I was going to just talk to him and understand, like, what that was for. Never did. Never texted me, never called me, never tried to. So um, that's that's where we stand with that too. Well, good to know. <laughs> um, I, I think it does say a lot though that for a driver of your age, your status, your caliber, a lot of people that are veterans of the sport and have been around the block a time or two, without hesitation, they would get out of the car, they would throw their Hans, they would, they would you know do a Kurt Busch, Jimmy Spencer, and smack them behind as they're going by. I mean, to have the wherewithal in that moment, legitimately, to think, all right, I don't want to look like a dumbass here. Let me compartmentalize what happened, figure it out later, but I'm a professional. I'm still trying to make a name for myself. I don't want to look dumb. Where does that come from? Because, again, the people you're racing around, it seems like contagious almost. The aggressiveness and the lack of respect sometimes, that was obviously shown to you, and you you were unjustly wrecked out of the race, probably your best of the season to that point. How did you find the the strength to not lash out in that moment? Because I feel like everybody else would. I would. <laughs> um, if it was if something like that happened before this year, I would have keyed up the radio, said every curse word there is in the dictionary, and <laughs> lost my marbles and got out and just done everything I could have. But you know, like I said, I'm just. I'm nobody really knows who Colby Howard is. Nobody has really heard of me. You know, I haven't done anything to deserve that. So I felt like I had, you know, a moment to say, Hey, 
you know, I'm, I am, what's the word? Um, I don't know what kind of word I'm looking for, but uh, I, I just wanted, man, I want to know. Um, I was just standing there at that ambulance. Like I said, I was ready to, you know, flick them off, like do something. And I'm telling you all at once, it just hit me. Like, you know, don't do it. Just walk away. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't want to be that driver that has like the, the temper issues and goes off anytime he gets bumped, which I feel like I had a right, right then to mm-hmm. you know act out. Um, but you know, I just wanted to control my temper. Something I've been working on. Um, and I didn't want to ruin it right there too. So how does that work for you? You're a young driver again, trying to make a name for yourself and gain respect. Right. But I think it's fair to say that you owe Carson one. He's not in the playoffs anymore, but he was. Do you keep that in the back of your mind? Is that always at the forefront of your mind? Do you have to be reminded of that? How do you handle potential retaliation on the racetrack? Um, I remember everything. You know, I'm one of those drivers that doesn't forget. I still owe guys from the Xfinity days. I'm just waiting <laughs> for them to get the um, But after IRP, I got talked to by some higher-ups, and was told not to really do anything but like you said it's not the playoffs anymore so uh you know i don't need to be reminded about that don't need to be to be uh told um what to do about that anymore um i don't just say i did do something i don't think it would be at a track like bristol um because i feel like you know, one Chuck Rex at Bristol, you wad up the whole field. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. I don't want to go out there and just wreck everybody, but I want my respect. So, um, definitely not nothing on purpose going to be at Bristol. Heard that. Understood. All right. So even though, you know, yo Carson won and he may not be getting a Christmas card from you anytime soon, I do know that you do have some good relationships with some of your truck counterparts. I saw you were out top golfing with Dean Thompson I forget who else was there. Lawless, maybe? Well, yeah. Right. So besides them, uh, maybe they can talk to Carson about how to race you. But uh, uh, is there anybody else in the truck series besides Derek, your teammate, too, that you have a good relationship with and friendship with away from the racetrack? Um, you know, me and Derek were are pretty close. We hang out a good bit. He goes down to my lake house. Um, and then uh, I went out with Dean and Lawless one time to some like, go-kart track that Dean Q stuff. Um, then we went out to Top Golf. And then I was like, hey, like, I'm going to the lake this weekend. Y'all want to come? So we went actually down to the lake uh, last weekend in South Carolina and hung out a good bit. But um, other than that, I don't, I've some of the drivers I talk to, but those, those drivers right there are kind of the only ones I hang out with outside of the track. Gotcha. All right. Well, outside of the track, let's stick there. I want people to learn a little bit more about you, Colby Howard. What do you like to do outside of the track? What are your hobbies? What do you like to eat? What do you like to watch? Tell the people about the Colby Howard when his visor's not down and he's not out for revenge in NASCAR. <laughs> what is the Colby Howard away from the racetrack like? Um, you know, I'm I love hunting. I love fishing. Anything outdoors. Um, just about every weekend I'm on the lake. We have, I have a lake house on Lake Greenwood. Um, down there, like I said, like every weekend uh, that we're not racing, um, wakeboard, tubing, anything like that, 
cooking out, cooking cheeseburgers with my friends. Um, just anything outside I'm up for. Anything. So um, I mean, that's it. I go to the lake, fish, hunt, all that. Do you ever catch something and then have it for dinner that night? Yeah, you know, that's one thing. You know, I love fishing. I fished all my life, but I do not eat fish. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I don't eat fish. I've had it. I've tried it. I've tried to like it. I just can't do it. It's not, not for a... everybody. I'm, I'm more of a cheeseburger guy myself. Yeah. yeah. I'll right. eat a deer. If I hunt that, I'll, I'll eat a deer or turkey. Okay. Fish I, have, I haven't had that, so invite me over next time, please. All right. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up talking about Bristol again. Going to be a hell of a race. What is realistic for you? You've been there before, but obviously different stakes. You have more experience now. Do you have any specific goal that you're shooting for when you roll onto the property there in Tennessee, or is it more so going to be you'll see what you got once you unload? Um, You know, I, like you said, I've raced at Bristol a couple times now. So realistically, I think a top 10. Um, even though we, we only have two this year, but realistically, I think we'll have a top 10. Um, my goal is a top five or obviously a win, but realistic goal, top five. Sure. Um, but I feel like we're going to be pretty fast, just our alliance with GMS and how fast GMS has been there. I really feel like that's, this is going to be one of our tracks that, that we're going to be really good at. Top 10 shooting for a top five, obviously a win at Bristol handful of races left in the 2022 season realistic goals for the rest of that is it to get a steady role of consistent finishes is it to win a race i mean what are realistic goals for you in the 91 for the rest of the year um these next few tracks coming up are tracks i really like i've had some good runs that i feel comfortable on those tracks uh except talladega yeah, that's that's talladega you know it's, up, kid. it's its own <laughs> yeah um anything can happen at Dega, but you know bristol homestead phoenix those tracks are tracks that i really like M most tracks i've raced at mm -hmm. on the schedule so um definitely have confidence going into the into those um definitely want to just put some consistent runs together you know and whatever happens happens you know i guess i'm a big believer in that um i'd really like to get a few more top tens in these races um especially bristol i'm really really looking forward to bristol um, and then we'll see what happens at Homestead. So I would assume that a young driver like yourself has hopes, dreams, and aspirations of making it to the big time one day, getting to the cup series, winning races, getting all those trophies, checks, checkered flags, winning a championship. Is that the goal for you still? And if so, how do you envision getting there? Um, yeah, it's, it's the goal, but I don't want to be, I don't want to go to the Cup Series unless I'm driving for Rick Hendrick, Joe Gibbs, or Richard Childers. I don't want to go there and run for 40th, 30th, 25th. You know, I don't want to do that. I did that in Xfinity. I just don't want to do it again. Um, I would much rather stay in the trucks and win races or Xfinity and win races than just say I'm a Cup driver and finish 30th every week. So yeah, it's the goal to go to the cup, go to cup. But if it's not competitive, I'd, I'd much rather just stay in a lower series. 
Wise beyond your years, Colby. I'll tell you that much. You, you can you can compartmentalize your anger better than a lot of people your age and in the truck series, and you got more realistic expectations as well. So you got a good head on your shoulders, my friend. I really appreciate you giving me some time here today. Your voice sounded great. You played a little yeah. hurt, but I appreciate that. Uh, best of luck at Bristol. We'll be watching him for the rest of the year. I'm sure I'll see you down the road, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. And we are back. Woo, what a guy. Colby Jack. I just came up with that now, though. So I'm never going to say it again to your face, Colby. Do not worry. I look forward to when you invite me over to try deer for the first time. And if and when I ever go fishing, I will catch a fish. And maybe I'll make it that night. And maybe you'll like when I make fish. So we'll see, Colby. Appreciate your time, man. Really do. Good luck this weekend at Bristol for the rest of the year. We'll be seeing you soon. Hopefully you can get that 91 up there in the top 10 and have it stay there without anything else coming into play. So best of luck, my friend. Got to chat briefly about Kansas Speedway and what we saw for race number two of the Cup Series playoffs. And for the second straight week, it was a non-playoff driver who wound up stealing the show. Bubba Wallace wins the second race of his Cup Series career. First one that is non-range shortened, and he had that thing on rails. Obviously, he's in the 45 for the rest of the year as Kurt Busch continues to rehab from his concussion. But 45, back-to-back -back at Kansas, sweeping the year in the heartland. That car was on rails in the spring. It was in the fall. And Bubba Wallace, I don't care what you say. You can't say that he didn't earn this one, huh? I know that there was a ton of talk back when he won Talladega is like, oh, it's rain shortened. Oh, it's not a real win. Oh, blah, 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 blah. He's lucky. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You can't say that about this one. He had the fastest car on that day. He was the best driver on that day. He won the race and whooped them on that day. So just accept it and move on. Bubba Wallace is a Cup Series race winning driver, and he is now two times. Yes, the first one counted just as much as this one does. But as he said on the front stretch, this one meant a lot to him. You could tell. This shuts a lot of the haters up. He really, really needed to do this, not only to shut some people up, but I think he did it for himself. And for 2311, obviously, that's big because they move on to the second round in the owner's championship. That's a huge deal financially and also confidence-wise for him, Booty Barker, Denny Hamlin, everybody on that team. Just know this. Bubba Wallace ain't going anywhere. He signed a multi-year extension. He is staying with 2311. He's going to visit Victory Lane more times, potentially this year, maybe next year in the future. He ain't going anywhere. So if you're having trouble accepting that fact already, you've added yourself as a person I do not want to be associated with or around, but sucks for you. He ain't going nowhere. Speaking of going nowhere, you can't say that for Kyle Busch. He's going somewhere. RCR, Richard Childress Racing, is his new home starting in 2023. Kind of surreal, right? I can't believe that we're actually sitting here talking about Kyle Busch in an RCR car because at the start of the year, we thought JGR, that was going to be the place. He's going to re-sign. Ty Gibbs, another year in Xfinity, no problem. But as things continue to evolve and Ty Gibbs continues to win and contract talks continue to break down between JGR, Toyota, and Kyle, it further emerged and the picture crystallized that he would be leaving Toyota and leaving Joe Gibbs Racing. So 
wound up being a battle between Colleg Racing, RCR 2311. There were probably some other suitors out there as well. But at the end of the day, RC has Kyle holding his watch. <laughs> and he will be racing the 8 car for next year and beyond. We don't know what that means for Tyler Reddick yet. I'm sure that we'll find out in the near future. Stay tuned right here to Victory Lane on SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. Myself on Twitter, at Davy Center. We'll get you all that information pronto. That'll wrap things up for episode 161 of Victory Lane 2.0. Please do me a favor, and if you like what you heard here today, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. We should be available right there for your consumption. If we're not, drop me a line, and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. Appreciate you sticking with me this week. A bit of a later episode than usual. Had some last-minute cancellations and some switcheroos that I had to deal with. But hopefully we'll be back on track, pun intended, next week timing-wise and with another guest from the world of NASCAR. And knock on wood, it may be a last name that you are very familiar with. Got to stay tuned, people. Enjoy Bristol. We'll talk to you next week.